If you're an education leader or visionary for improving our school mental health system, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Charlie Peck, keynote speaker and school mental health consultant. Make sure you download our free school mental health audit at thrivingeducator.org forward slash audit to assess your current system with your mental health team. Now that's thrivingeducator.org forward slash audit. Make sure you pick that up. All right, let's get started with today's episode. Hi, this is Charlie from the Thriving Educator Podcast. We have Joe Salamone on. Did I pronounce that right? I didn't even ask you that before. It actually depends on what part of Italy you come from. My, one side of the family says Salamone, the other side of the family says Salamone. So I'll, I usually answer to either one, to be honest. Okay, you don't have a preference though? What's your preference? Usually I pronounce the E, Salamone, but you know, it's it's whichever. Well, that's what we're doing. So okay. Joe Salamone this is such an important topic, part of our bullying series. Tell people where you're from, like, because it's regional, but I think you probably have a further reach than that. Tell people where you're from and what you're doing. So uh, we are based in Long Island, New York. Our, our service area, so to speak, is now in Suffolk County of Long Island. Um, I was born and raised. I've never left Long Island as far as living anywhere else. Um and our story starts here, and the purpose of the organization is to give back and help here. Uh, so, uh, but it is a little interesting. You say our reach is probably further than we uh, we know, um, because uh, obviously you're not on Long Island, but here we are connecting with one another anyway. So that that's proof in the pudding right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also uh, a few years ago we were fortunate enough to be on uh, the syndicated TV show, The Long Island Medium, with Teresa Caputo. And that reached multi-states and we were inundated with requests to kind of franchise LICAB out to other areas. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we we definitely are aware that, you know, our, our reach is a little bit more. And honestly, bullying doesn't have boundaries. So, you know, the, the conversation while our service area is very specific, you know, the information and the, the need to have this discussion doesn't know any confines. Yeah. I mean, now that you mentioned that, Joe, you have to tell people who are dying to know what that was like, like what, <laughs> just give a little brief overview of what that was like. Cause that's, that's intriguing. Uh, yeah, it, um, it was the first time I've ever been on national TV. Um, and, uh, it was very, you know, scripted, choreographed. Uh, you know, I, I had to, you know, get up and meet her, greet her a certain way, bring her to sit down in a certain way. Uh, and the conversation that we had, was not intended to be a reading. It was to bring students together with her to talk about bullying. And as we sat there, certain things started to kind of happen organically. And kids actually were like, well, you know, I had a friend and she would ask questions like, you know, is this the friend that died in that accident? And all of a sudden it was, you know, and and it turned out that some of these kids, I didn't even know this, had friends who, you know, died by suicide uh, and they were coming through. So it was a very, uh, it was a very uh, interesting and heavy experience. Uh, and uh, as was all the after effect of the, the, uh, the exposure that it got us, which was awesome too. So it was, wow. it was definitely an experience. Yeah. I have so many questions, but I know that that's not the topic. So <laughs> that's a whole nother episode. It is important that we talk about bullying. It's interesting that you say that you brought the kids in why are we not bringing kids into the conversation more? So let's talk about how important that is to have the voice of students there. Yeah, you know, we talk about it all the time and and I really mention it. So one of our core programs is actually school partnerships. And I use the word partnership and we use the word partnership very specifically. 
because it needs to be a back and forth. Um, you know, schools are are really needing the help and they're finally getting to a point, and we've kind of seen this evolution over the last 10 years, at least locally, where bullying has gone from something that schools have inadvertently tried to deny that they had an issue with, and now all of a sudden are embracing more of a, hey, we need help. Um, if I were to put, pinpoint an area where I think that turn kind of happened, I think it was leading up to COVID and then certainly after COVID. It was like, I, I how many times I heard the train is off the rails and we don't know how to get it back, things like that. So I say that because when I do professional development with faculty and staff, I said, guys, you can't just keep sitting and locking yourselves in a room and trying to figure it out for them. You have to bring them into it and give them the responsibility. And when I lead presentations with students, that's exactly what I say. I said, how many of you were tired of listening to another conversation about bullying? And all their hands go up and that's the point. And then I said, say that you are the ones that have the, the responsibility and the ability to never hear this again when you stop accepting it as part of your life. When you start accepting the idea that if I don't want this to continue, I don't have to accept that it's part of my life. When somebody does that and somebody's willing to stand up and lead that change, you don't have to hear this anymore. But when when we cut kids out and and basically make them say, you're on the receiving end of this, but you're not part you're you're part of the problem, but we're not going to include you as part of the solution, it just doesn't work. Absolutely. It it makes so much sense when you say it like that. So how do the kids respond to you when you actually pose that to them? In the moment, they usually react very positively, but and but some of them are are kind of um uh dismissive of it. You could see it in their facial expressions, like, yeah, yeah, okay. And, and one of the questions I get asked a lot is in the moment, do you think it makes an impact? And I say, yes. I said, but it's not just you do it once and you hope that that one moment transcends an entire school year. You have to make it a repeated part of the curriculum, a repeated part of the culture uh, of the school building, of the school district. Uh, so many of the things that we hear is one school building does it this way, and then they get into another school building. And what was acceptable in the past is no longer accepted now, or what used to be never be accepted is now accepted and and it's like everybody's kind of marching to their own beat so there's no consistency so we started asking a question in our exit surveys of uh we do exit surveys from grades 6 through 12 because it's a little harder to survey the younger kids mm -hmm. and one of the questions we started asking this year was did the information you heard today change your feeling about bullying yes no or somewhat and I, although we're only in January and there's been a vacation or so in there already, about 67% of the kids we've already spoken to said yes or somewhat. And that's the, the key indicator that I look for. You're never going to solve it in one presentation. But if you start to change their mind a little at a time, that's, you know, it's kind of like the frog in the boiling water thing. You drop it in boiling water, it'll jump out. You turn the temperature slowly and it, it'll allow itself to boil. And that's kind of the perspective we go about about this. And so when you do these programs in schools, how yeah. long are you with them? Tell me about the program. Uh, typically, it depends on the district. We, we are not cookie cutter. So it, we really sit down. We do pre-insertion meetings with all of our schools before we actually go in. We can do an assembly, although I personally hate assemblies. I don't think they have any impact at all. Um, you know, too many kids use it as a, hey, I got out of class free. I didn't do my homework. Great. I get another day. Who's sitting with their friends? Things like that. 
So I don't think that they're effective in their, you know, finite usage. But what we do is what we try to do each year is we use assemblies in conjunction with push-ins. So we'll start with assemblies to kind of get the rudimentary definitions out of the way and kind of give a global overview. And that usually lasts about 40, 45 minutes. And then maybe a month, two months max or so later, we then go in and push into every classroom. And then we do, you know, I like I personally in, in another week will be living in a middle school for 10 days. Every single day, I will visit every single social studies class from grade six to eight. Um, and that's the model that we really like to use because they're familiar with me now. They've got, we've gotten some of that, you know, boring definition stuff out of the way. And now we use the push-ins as the, let's just talk about this. What are your feelings about it? What do you see more? Um, what do you think leads to this? You know, things like that. And and kind of, I mean, I navigate it, we navigate it through a PowerPoint, but I've many times put the remote down and climbed on a desk and just sat around with 30 kids at a time and gone where they wanted to go. And that usually proves to be pretty effective. Yeah, it, I I love it. You're giving them the space. It absolutely validates those kids. I mean, it's saving lives. I really believe that what you're doing is saving lives. So when you hear them talk, what kind of common themes come up? What do they keep saying over and over? What do you hear? Hello, middle-level educators. Are you looking for a nationwide type of conference at the fraction of the cost? The North Carolina Association for Middle-Level Education welcomes you to Charlotte, North Carolina, March 24th through the 26th for the 2024 NCMLE Inspire Conference. My name is David James, NCMLE Marketing and Conference Director, and I want to personally invite you to our annual conference. You will not want to miss our keynote and featured speakers that leads over 120 middle-specific teaching and learning sessions. Our featured lineup includes EDU experts from across the country, such as principal and leadership expert Baruti Kafele, Darren Peppard, LaQuanta Nelson, Zach Bowermaster, and the host of this podcast, educational expert Charlie Peck. The NCMLE Inspire Conference is for everyone. Go to ncmle.org to register your team for the 2024 NCMLE Inspire Conference today. We actually ask a question very specifically. We don't ask it in the moment, uh, but we do ask it in our surveys. What does bullying look like to you? Acknowledging that it's, yes, we have the carbon definition of, you know, a balance of power, repetition, things like that. But what does it mean to you in your practical, everyday living in the moment? What does bullying mean? And what we get is it's a lot more manipulative now. It's a lot more exerting social pressures on each other. Um, you know, if, if you don't want to do it the way I want you to do, we're going to leave you out, uh, more of the emotional bullying, which is not until it's really explained to them, uh, something that they really pay that much attention to as part of bullying. I still think they have the, you know, pushing, hitting, kicking, shoving version of bullying and, and the making fun of, uh, rumors and stuff, but they don't necessarily say, a friend group who repeatedly excludes somebody on a Friday night, but then goes on Snapchat and has to snap about how we're all having a great time while you're sitting home and we didn't include you. They don't see that as bullying when it's done over and over. And I, the message there is you don't have to be everybody's friend all the time. If you people gravitate away from each other, but don't use friends against each other to, to gain something from it. That's entirely different. Um, so that's a lot more of what we see. And surprisingly, 
I tell them, listen, take cyberbullying out of the equation because technology is now inherent in everything that we do. So okay. take it out as a form of bullying. Let's talk about what you see more of, verbal, physical, or emotional. Because does something ever happen in the school building that doesn't end up on social media? No. The things that happen on social media ever not cause an impact in school? No. So take it out. It's baked in already. Uh, and when you take that out and you ask them about the other three and then you explain emotional, they think that emotional is the bigger problem. At least that's what we're getting told. Mm -hmm. And why do you think, just based on your history and, and work that you do, why do you think the emotional bullying is so powerful? Because I think kids, and, and I think this is even was true, you know, when we were kids, uh, people care about the statuses in their life, especially kids. They, they care about what people think of them. Uh, they care about what their, you know, reputation is, their street cred, all that kind of stuff. So when that starts to kind of get chipped away, you know, that's where it, it, it hurts, regardless of what they might admit. And I've tested this out. I like to do uh, role plays in the classroom when I'm with them in just smaller groups without them even knowing. Like I will, I'll ask questions and bring them down a road they don't know where we're going. And then I'll turn around and say, well... I hate Crocs, you're a loser. What, what? And it like the shock. I'm like, but that's judging people. And that, have you not heard people judge people over silly things like the shoe they're wearing? And then when one kid starts laughing because I called one kid a loser and then there's retaliation and then somebody else laughs at the laughter, then in two minutes, you've got 35 kids who are now attacking each other. Mm -hmm. And then I just go back and say, but I thought you all told me you don't care what other people think of you. And they, they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, if you didn't care about what I said to him and you didn't care that he laughed at you, you wouldn't have retaliated. And you in the corner wouldn't have laughed at retaliating against those two if you didn't care. And it just, the cycle goes on and on because everyone cares. Mm -hmm. So I still think that that's why the emotional happens that much more. Also because of the fact that mental and emotional bullying is kind of a umbrella all forms of bullying fall under, you get bullied on social media. Does it have a mental impact? Yes. You're getting pushed and shoved in the hallway repeatedly or outside of school. Does it have a mental impact? Yes. So it's its own topic, but it's also an umbrella that covers the rest of them too. So I think that's why another reason it's pretty prevalent. Yeah. I mean, it just chisels away at their soul, their spirit, yeah. doesn't it? It's hard to see. What kind of safety measures do you have when you have those conversations with kids? And then inevitably, some of them are experiencing it or have, and it comes up. How do you, what do you guys do about that? So what we always, it doesn't always happen this way, but we usually always make a strong recommendation that push-ins with us are accompanied by the PPS or uh, SEL staff, psychologists, whoever it is. We try not to make it the administration because I feel like there's still a little of that intimidation factor there. I want sure. it to be a little more comfortable. Uh, even though some most of these principles are fantastic and don't like the fact that they're intimidating, I'm like, but it's just the title you have. The principal yeah. walks in and it's an entirely different ballgame. That's right. But a social worker walks in and it's a much different ballgame because there's not that intimidating, I might get in trouble for this. So we always implore the PPS staff to come in with us. Um, I always encourage them to introduce themselves in the beginning of the session that way, because there are a lot of kids who don't know. You know, if you're that kid that 
you know, that either part of an IEP or or whatever the individual case is needs to see the social worker, you're already going to know who they are. But what about the kid that's never met the social worker and now all of a sudden has a problem and would love to know who they are if they ever needed them? So mm-hmm. I really encourage when I advise districts, send your PPS staff to just do a, hey, this is who we are in the beginning of the year. This is where you can find us. And then that's it. But then when we push in, I also ask very strongly that they sit in the back of the room. That way, in the event, because sometimes when you're presenting, you're not picking up on every cue. And these staff in the building know the kids better. So it, it, it you know, know it better and they can kind of observe a little better than I can. Um, so we really encourage that as kind of the safety piece in there that, uh, we, you know, anybody's welcome to come up and talk to me at the end. But then I always want to be able to say, Thank you for coming forward and confiding me. Now come talk to my friend, Dr. So-and-so. Good. It is good that you say to connect them to the school's social worker, because a lot of kids don't even know what those are. And they keep seeing them in the building. They don't know that that exists. I mean, it's probably more prevalent now, but boy, if the kids knew they were there, they would have some ally, right? But teachers are also huge allies. So how do you actually work with teachers on this who had no idea that bullying was going on in their own classroom? I hear this all the time. It's going on. One kid's being targeted. They're being teased a lot. It's affecting them. They might be holding it together in their own classroom, but when they go home, they let it go. So how do you work with the teachers? So the teachers are, you know, what we really try to bring their attention to is understanding the differences between what might be easily dismissed as adolescent immaturity, uh, you know, kids being kids, and what is actually being very targeted. Sometimes, and this goes back to what the kids say, where it's more bullying today is more manipulative. I get a lot of teachers who tell me like, it. I feel like it bubbles under the surface, but it never rises to where I will see it. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's because they know what they're doing. They, right. they don't, they're, they're specifically employing different tactics. So what are those things? Um, we usually advise teachers to be a little more on the lookout for things like what could be perceived as maybe the isolated microaggressions, who's staring at who, who might be encouraging who to laugh at somebody, um, who's getting picked maybe at recess last when kids have to partner up, which is an important part of social component in class, partnering up with other kids and working in groups, who are the kids that don't get invited or who maybe were invited in the past and are no longer now included, kids who wanted to work together in past and now know, you know, things like that. Um, And then what do you do? Now in New York, we have something called the Dignity for All Students Act, uh, which is a little bit more of a guidance, although I still think that there's some, a lot more room for improvement, uh, but the Dignity Act gives certain protocols that a teacher is supposed to follow or really any staff member in a building is supposed to follow, where if you suspect something, you have to bring it to what's called the Dignity Act coordinator in the building. Uh, And then they're encouraged and required to investigate it. Um, So what I say is nobody's ever going to yell at you if you came forward and said, I think this is happening. Can I really prove it? No, but I think we should be more vigilant and pay more attention. Because what that does is Instead of going to the faculty room and talking about it amongst yourselves, now it puts it in the hands of somebody else who can kind of go around and strategically, who's trained to do this kind of investigation under more stringent confidentiality to get to the bottom of something. So I always recommend a teacher, if you're unsure, bring it forward to the people who have a lot more training in it and and see what they want to do. 
Mm -hmm. What about this? No, go ahead, please. What would no, you... I want to see what they would recommend and then kind of go from there. Yeah, their recommendations are they have a lot of merit, don't they? Yes, they do. Okay. So what about these kids who have been relentlessly teased and then they 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 act out? They act out. And yeah. how do we protect those kids? So I'm not proud of it, but, uh, you know, the cycle, the, the way the cycle usually goes. And when you ask kids, why do you think kids bully? You know, and, and it's very important, by the way, and I, I always overlook this a lot in bringing this into conversation, but using proper terminology for this conversation is important, too, because it, labels are very isolating. You never want somebody to feel like they're stuck as a victim. But at the same time, you never want somebody to feel like they're stuck as an aggressor either. So that's why we really like to use the phrase demonstrating bullying behavior, because when you look at it from a behavioral perspective, behaviors can be changed. Um, so what I well, going back to what I was originally going to say is when I was being bullied, uh, which is really the impetus for why I do everything that I do, I became other people's bully. Uh, and it's because, you know, if somebody's making you feel this big, how do you think you can quickly make yourself feel bigger again? Shrink somebody else. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's the way the cycle typically works. Um, so we get a lot of uh, parents, administrators say to us, well, I can't tell if it's really bullying because both of them are doing things back and forth to each other. Mm -hmm. And I said, but you really have to take a step back and figure out from where it's originating from. because Sometimes the kids who are being bullied will begin to act out if they don't feel like people are taking it seriously and are doing anything to help them. Right. Uh, sometimes they're doing it because they are tired of feeling this small. So now they're starting to fight back a little bit. Um, so that's why the, it's important because it does eventually become this seesaw thing where sometimes it's hard to tell kind of who started it, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg. Um, that's why it's really important when you start to see conflict to kind of start addressing it as quickly as possible so it doesn't start to spiral. Um, but how to help them pay more attention to it, take it seriously. Uh, you know, kids will come forward and accuse somebody of being bullied. We're working with one school district right now where that's exactly what the situation is. The kids are using the phrase bullying as kind of a weapon against each other. No, they're bullying me. No, they're bullying me. And really, it's that it, it, knowing the information I know, it is purely adolescent immaturity. But being educated enough to tell the difference. Uh, and sometimes, even if you know the difference, you have to take action anyway. Even, you know, are they, they may not necessarily be rising to what in New York we would consider a DASA violation, but are they violating your codes of conduct? You know, codes of conduct are there to manage conduct. You know, so if, if there are both sides, you know, doing things to each other, you know, take action where it's needed, including encouraging somebody just to go down and talk to the social worker so that they could be given more positive strategies. It doesn't always have to be punitive. Well, that is key, isn't it? Can't we do this from a place of prevention? I mean, what's your hope for the future here? How does What does that look like? Um, I am a firm believer that it's got to be a hybrid of both. I don't think that restorative can ever really replace punitive. And I don't think that we should be a purely punitive society anymore, which is typically what we've been. Mm -hmm. On Long Island, the subject of restorative practices, restorative justice um, is in certain pockets of the community still very taboo. Um, certain school districts here are, have formally accepted it, 
and and built it into their policies uh, and and gotten training for individuals. And others have not formally adopted it, but have adopted certain practices kind of like baked into what they do. But, you know, again, if the community is a little slower to adopt it, they're not going to go so far out there. But as far as my hope for the future, I think it's got to be both. Um, I think there is merit to punitive, but I also think that you're never going to completely change people's minds when you're just punishing. Adult uh, kids do and, and humans do learn that, you know, from, you know, action, there are repercussions. So punitive is important, but hurt people hurt people. Yeah. So if you are a person and we talk about breaking the cycle all the time. I came to find out years later that the kids who were bullying me had issues at home with alcoholic parents, abusive parents, where did they necessarily hate me? No. But when you're being abused and nobody's paying attention to you, you know, those things happen. When you, if you just punish those kids and send them back home to an environment they don't want to be in to begin with, what are you actually doing? So, We've got to take more of an active interest in that. And frankly, I think as a society, we're sort of failing in that aspect because schools' hands, particularly when you talk about schools, are very tied to what can they actually do uh, to intervene in a home scenario that they know is not a good environment, but what else can they do? You know, Yeah, you could say, go call Child Protective Services or, or Department of Children and Family Services, things like that. But then... You know, it was national, but, you know, there are instances like with the uh, the young boy that was uh, that that unfortunately froze to death on his garage floor, the, the Valva case. There's a lot from what we hear of distrust in if I called CPS, are they going to do anything about it? So we have a lot. That's why whenever I have this discussion, people are like, you know, Joe, you went off on a tangent. I'm like, but this is such an onion topic. There's so much that goes into this. That, that it kind of exposes the cracks that are kind of everywhere. If we're not, we, we like to talk about bullying and why it happens as an iceberg. For as big as the problem as you think is lurking on the top of the surface, it's so much bigger underneath that you can't see. And if we're not interested in looking at what's going on underneath the surface, we're never going to tackle what's on top. So who's ultimately responsible for preventing <laughs> and mitigating bullying issues? Um... I think everybody's got a role to play. Uh, I don't, there's no, you know, th there's nobody who owns more responsibility than another. I would say, you know, conventional wisdom says, you know, it's the parents, it's the parents, it's the parents. The parents play a huge role. There's no mistaking that. If you're taught good, solid morals and right from wrong at home, that's the symbiotic relationship that's supposed to exist, right? Schools are supposed to inherit kids that have been taught basic right from wrong, do's and don'ts, and given to them on more solid ground. Unfortunately, what we I think we would kind of both agree, sometimes we're seeing this where the basics are not really being stressed at home. And there's kind of this, you're the school, you teach it to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, and it becomes this, you know, whose responsibility actually is it? I think that the school's responsibility is to yes, do the education, but also to continue to help parents and sh and, and continue to, to reinforce what's being taught at home. Not inherit a kid and start from scratch because that's another problem with the school. So many teachers and administrators say, I feel like we actually break through, then the bell rings at three o'clock and the next day we start all over again. So 
parents have to reinforce what's being taught in school and vice versa. Uh, so there's definitely the parental role. There's the school role. There's uh, the government role and community partner role, because, you know, what we, we can only do so much as a nonprofit organization. Uh, our partners in government, we stress a lot of making sure that the tools are there in place to support, you know, police departments when it when it gets to the level of of criminal activity, which unfortunately today bullying so often does very quickly, uh, you know, in enforcing and, and enhancing mental health resources, things like that. So we all have a role. That's really the simple answer. Everybody plays a role in in how we fix this, including, as we said in the beginning, the kids, the kids. Yeah. Why not equip them? Why not teach them how these things happen? Because the partnership is key, right? The partnership is key because we're all frustrated at home as parents and we're all frustrated at school because we're all human and there's a lot going on. We're overwhelmed. So yeah. why not strengthen that partnership and just help each other out instead of pointing the darn finger? Yeah. The other piece to this, Joe, is when we do that, um, when we do raise our kids and we do everything kind of basically right, something yeah. still happens to them. Yeah, happened to them, right? And then they, then it shows up in other ways that we could never have prevented. Yeah, and and that's why I'm very, I'm not very quick uh, to always point the finger at home because you do have the parents who really do try, uh, you know, and things still happen. Their kid does turn out to act out in different ways, and if we really examine why that is, we have to look at some of the external influences that are impacting today's parenting. You know, you can't, I know it's a, it's becoming the broken record, but we cannot discuss enough the impacts of what they're watching on social media, what they're exposed to, and the impacts that that has. My mother used to tell me all the time, she can tell me the sky is blue, and I would tell her no, but the neighbor two doors down can tell me the sky is blue, and I would come home and say, Ma, did you know the sky is blue? <laughs> Sometimes parents are doing the right thing, but they're not being listened to because it's like, yeah, okay, Ma. But somebody else tells them something and it could be the same thing. And it's as if their eyes are open. The same thing works differently when it comes to the negative things that they're exposed to, because somebody with four million followers who might be the biggest ignoramus in the world can say something. But because they said it and they've got four million followers, it's like, oh, my God, I've seen I see it in my own family. I have two nieces who they're like. Oh my God, did you hear what this person said? Well, who is that? Oh, I don't know, but they've got like a million followers on TikTok. I'm like, Ugh. what does that qualify them to be telling you anything? It just means a million kids like you think that they're awesome because they play video games on YouTube and, and they make a living out of it. You know, so there are so many external influences that really impact you know, what we can teach kids, which is why it's, it's a never ending thing. And, and I'm not a parent. Full disclosure, I've got, I collect nieces and nephews as if it's a hobby <laughs> lately, but uh, it is not, I'm not a parent. So I would never pretend to know how difficult it is other than what I see. And I, I so I, I think parenting is one of the hardest jobs. So I would never be quick to say it's all a parent's fault. Could parents, other? I'm sure we all know parents that could maybe step up to the plate a little bit more. But, you know, you've got the parents who are very involved in their kids' lives and really are trying to lead them down the straight and narrow. And sometimes, you know, they, they go off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to that. And by the way, with those programs, it's the um, like episodes that they're watching YouTube and all this. There's not really a lot on TV that is nice. Like even the shows these kids have been watching for the last 15 years that are the comedy shows, they're not nice to each other. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I had a, my husband and I had our kids watch Family Ties recently because we we're like, enough. You're not watching YouTube because they're it's it's mindless. It's yes. to them they love it, of course. There's no yeah. storyline. There's no character building. There's no starting into it. So it's kind of mindless. And so uh, we had them watch Family Ties and like at least you're going to get something. But those shows don't really exist the way they used to anymore. There there isn't um... not regularly especially with streaming and everything else. I mean, it, it, they, everybody's going after, you know, really what sells. And it's interesting that you bring up, you know, the, the, they're not really nice to each other because later this afternoon, I'm stepping a little outside the boundaries of bullying. Uh, and I'm going to a school that's having a lot of issues with healthy and unhealthy relationships. And so much of why they have they, this infighting amongst each other is because they can't get over prior acts that you know like kids have done to them they've done to each other and they're holding on to that and their friends are not really friends the ties that are binding them are mutual dislike for other people uh it's not based on trust and boundaries and things so what i'm doing today is you know i'm basically going in there and and just kind of using my story and saying let's talk about what healthy and unhealthy relationships look like and why are we drawn to unhealthy relationships why are they sometimes easier to, to continue than seeking out the healthy ones? And, and to answer my own question from my own experience, I think it's because sometimes you might be in a position where you feel a little lonely while you're on the path to finding healthy relationships. And that's not a good place to be either. And I think kids look at friendships as quantity, not quality. The more people around them, the more safe they feel when they have a pack. But are those in their pack the people they really should be around? And, you know, so so I, I'm sorry to go off on that tangent. Yeah. But when you, said, when you said healthy, you know, uh, and unhealthy, I'm like, I'm actually doing that today. That's great. I It needs to be taught. I got to teach that for 18 years and two high schoolers about healthy and unhealthy relationships. So when I stepped out of the classroom, I'm doing this on a wider scale, but I'm not doing I'm not reaching those kids in my class anymore. Right. Yeah. And it kills me because where are they getting it? So I so appreciate Joe that you're doing that. I know that there it's there's a lot of people doing great work. So what what have we missed here? Is there anything that you think that we need to say before we close it up? Uh no. I mean, I mean, listen, we could go on for seven and a half more hours at least. So, mm -hmm. you know, they, I think, you know, as a as a good kind of jump start of the conversation, I think this is good. You know, again, I, I would stress the idea that, you know, if somebody called today. My organization can't necessarily spend money on them, you know, if they're out of our service area. But if something that I said today sparks something in somebody and they have questions they want to ask, I, I'm, you know, I would always be very willing to get on the phone with somebody and just kind of advise them from afar, um, you know, and, and and have more of a discussion with them, you know, because I believe that it needs to happen, you know, in any every part of the world. So, uh, you know, I, I would definitely be open to that uh, if any of your listeners wanted to do that. Um, so I guess at that point, am I allowed to give a little bit of a shameless plug if they did want to pick up the phone and call? It's not shameless because I'm plugging you. I want, okay. you to, I want you're a, a huge resource for them. So please tell them how they can get in touch with you. Uh, so our phone number is 516-777-7709. Uh, and uh, our, uh, if you want to get in touch with me directly, I would give you the help one, but help goes directly to a team of people that are probably going to say, Joe, they're not in Long Island. What do we do? So if you want to reach out directly for some advice or whatever, my direct email is J-S-A-L-A-M-O-N-E at L-I-C-A-B dot org. And I would be happy to, you know, to talk to people at will. 
That's great. It is helpful because we have a lot of school leaders who they don't know what to do next. They want, they want some resolution and they want to protect their kids. So, yeah. and they're seeing a lot of student behaviors that are affecting teachers. And, and so there's a lot going on in our schools, as you know. So I appreciate that you're, you're letting them call you. Cause that's, that's, you know, we all need some help, don't we? Yes, for sure. Absolutely. And you can never have enough of it. And, and that's the thing. Don't, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm never afraid to admit when I don't know something or pick up a book and try to read or whatever. So, you know, uh, one thing I would always say is it doesn't matter what position in life you've gotten. Don't ever be afraid to say you need help and ask a question because, you know, we could always do better in every aspect of everything we do. We absolutely could. Every single one of us. Yes. And paying attention is a huge step. So, all right. Anybody listening up who wants just more information about their story or their programs, just so you can get an idea of what they do, you can go to licab.org. It's yeah. on the show notes too, Joe. So I put everything there, but thank you very much for being a part of this. And more importantly, thank you so much for working with kids in schools. It is essential right now. Our pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, so I'm gonna stop recording here. I clicked a button that I shouldn't have clicked, but I'll. Did you get your school mental health audit yet? You can get it at thrivingeducator.org forward slash audit. And if you're working on mental health PD planning, check out all the ways we can support you while you're there on our website already. It's just under professional development. And listen, if you found value in today's episode, please share it in your network for those who will benefit. And if you could give it a rating and review it, that would be great. We really appreciate you. Thanks for listening.